I want to uh, just take about five minutes right now to tell you about something that we're going to start in our Connect service called Ministry Spotlights. In short, what these are is we want to get people who are involved in ministry from Cornerstone and people who are partners with us in the community up here in front of you to tell you about their ministries. And they're going to do short presentations to you because one of the things that we value at Cornerstone is, is if you look on our vision frame, and if you have a bulletin this morning, there's a little graphic with our vision frame on it. I encourage everybody to take a look at that. It's up there. But uh, one of our values on the, on the right side is every member ministry. But we understand that sometimes people just don't know how to get involved or even know what their gifts are. We want to help you do that. So we're going to pre- have presentations up here called Ministry Spotlights of even things that are going on right now in Cornerstone uh, from Sunday school to nursery to other things like that, to children's programs, to youth group, all that stuff, um, so that you can say, oh, that sounds interesting to me. I should try that out. One of the best ways to figure out what you're gifted at and what you're good at, what you're talented at, what God has gifted, is just to try things. So we want to inform you the best that we can so that you could try things. Um, and so I'm actually going to start off this week with the administra- uh, administrative pastor spotlight because I, uh, I've been here for uh, seven years. This will be year number seven. Um, but I've been the youth pastor for most of the time that I've been here. So just recently made a transition uh, into being the administrative pastor, which means do not come to me for youth stuff anymore. Go to Mike, okay? It's not my, I'm just kidding. I love them. But um, uh, I just want to be in accountability with you all as to what I am doing because you pay me to, uh, to do a good job. So I just need to be in accountability with you guys as to what I do with my job. So real quick, um, what, the, what the elders and I have talked about for uh, my new job, three areas. First is ministry administration and just working with our department heads um, just to make sure the gears work right at Cornerstone and to make sure everything runs smoothly. Uh, second is worship and connect service and putting the bands together and just working with this amazing team of people and the preaching team and stuff like that to make these services happen. Third is networking, outreach, and assimilation. So one of the things that the gathering came out of was just meeting with other churches and trying to network and figure out with them what they are doing in the community, how we can be a part of being out in the community. And some of the ministry spotlights that you'll see up here will come from some of that networking. Um, and uh, we're going to have somebody from, uh, from Freedom for Youth come, and we're going to have somebody from uh, the Johnston Partnership come and share. And Ashley's going to share next week about human trafficking, which I did not know existed in, in Des Moines. And it does. It's just an amazing thing. So um, uh, I'm excited about that. And then assimilation is just, is just um, hanging out with new people and getting new people involved. And by the way, if you're new this morning, uh, there's, a, there's a tab on your bulletin. Put that, fill that out and put it in the, in the offering when it comes around because we want your information. We want to meet you. We want to know you. And we want you to get involved. Um, so I want to share with you just a few goals that I've made for myself. In, in all honesty, I need you to pray for me, um, and I want you to hold me accountable to these things. But these are a few goals that, that I, I've found important for me to focus on in the next year. First of all, ministry excellence, to ensure that all cornerstones strive in excellence in every ministry, every time we do anything. No matter how big or small it is, if it's worth doing, we want to do the best that we can do at it. So we're going to put energy 
and, uh, and, and resources into doing that. The next one is ministry alignment. Um, I want to spend time making sure that all of our ministry heads, our elders know it, um, and all of, our, all of you know our vision frame. And um, that's exciting to me. Can you go to the vision frame slide? Um, that's exciting to me because what this is is our vision frame. It's what the elders uh, came up with that God, God led them to for our church. These are our, this is how we want to do ministry. We want to unleash God's people, every single member of this church, to do ministry, to be using their gifts. And this is how we're going to do it. We can say you can do whatever you want to do as long as you stay within that frame. As long as you stay within that frame because it will keep us in alignment in ministry uh, to do the same thing that God has led us to do as a church, Cornerstone in Des Moines. All right, the next one. Um, individual empowerment. Uh, ensure that every member of Cornerstone is on track to discover and use their God-given talents and spiritual gifts for the good of the kingdom of God. I want, and Heather and I want to, we're about to move to Ankeny this next week into a house that we can actually comfortably have people over. We are super excited about that because we would love to have as many of you as possible in our home this next year. And we want to work with you. We want to talk to you about how can you be involved in Cornerstone. How are you involved? How can we encourage you? What are you good at? Let's get you going in service. And I can tell you this, when you start to serve, you will grow. When you start to serve, you will grow. It's just an amazing thing that God wants us to do. Next is personal development. And you, I want you to hold me accountable to this too. Ask me periodically, how are you doing with your own personal development? And that is ensure that I live intentionally in my, in my spiritual life, my family life, and my professional life. Um, and you deserve that from me, but it is also what we all need to be doing um, in, in our personal development. So that's a goal of mine for this next year. And then the last one is to ensure uh, that we are knowing our neighbors um, in every arena of our lives. And I know our preaching team is committed to that. Our elders are committed to that in talking about and asking the question, do you know your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? 258,000 people that, that, that were surveyed do not have any affiliation with the church anywhere or are unsaved. So we want to get the gospel out, and we need to start with our neighbors, not just in this room, but go out and reach our neighbors. So those first three things that I, that I mentioned, um, ministry administration, uh, worship administration, and networking and assimilation, those, those, are, those are what you can pray for me for. Those are what my, my new job is, and I need you to hold me accountable to that because I'm excited about doing all of that with you. As we uh, are close to going into more worship, um, I just want to pray for us, and we're going to, uh, to have the offering come around. Again, if you're a visitor this morning, uh, put, your, put that tab with your information in there. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can worship you. I thank you that uh, we are loved by you and we are known by you. God, I, uh, I pray that this morning you will be with Kyle, that you will just... Uh, help him to listen to your spirit as you lead him. And God, may we uh, be changed by your word this morning. As we hear that Jesus is the word, and the word is God, and the word 
was with you in the beginning and created all of life, and we live and breathe because of Jesus. God, that's what we want. Uh, that's what we want our lives to be consumed with, living and breathing because of Jesus. God, we want to sit here in this moment in your presence and worship you. We love you and we need you. Amen. I tried to find my best St. Paddy's Day get up that I could find, so bear with me with my orange shirt. Sorry, Jimmy. No offense to you. Uh, I, I was thinking as Nick was talking, um, you know, talking about our mission, that our mission is to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. That, that, that's what we as a church, as a body of Christ, want to be about, leading people everywhere to that devoted relationship with Jesus. And, and even thinking about what, what St. Patrick's Day really was intended to be about, I mean, that's what it was. This is a guy who went and took the gospel, uh, I think, you know, Jimmy, you can obviously probably share the story better than I can, but he was a guy that uh, was in captive by the, by the Irish, and they thought at the time they were a very uh, barbaric place with, with really, which kind of explains Jimmy and Ruth a little bit. They were a barbaric <laughs> tribe and people group that, that people thought probably couldn't reach with the gospel. And here was a guy who went, and his mission and what he was about, leading people everywhere to devote a relationship with Jesus, took this me- the message of who Jesus is and what he has done to, to a group of people that didn't know it. And so now, you know, obviously, Mike tweeted this morning, now it's celebrated by drinking green beer. But the, the message of St. Patrick's Day, man, was this, this idea of leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. So that's what we want to be about. And even as we, we, we go through this series in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, Austin told us last week, and as we looked at that, that kind of that theme verse for the book of John is that these words are written so you may know Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who brings life. The book of John is this study. This is what it's about, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. That's why we're going through this, the, the Gospel of John, because it is a book, as much of the Bible, but specifically John, that points people how to have a relationship with Jesus, how to know the Son of God, how to know the Messiah, how to have life and life abundantly. This is what John points us to in the gospel. And so this is why it's such an awesome series and, and why Austin talking last week about how, you know, it's a great book for us to be excited about. Excited about because if we don't know Jesus, this is where it can point us to that. If we do know Jesus, what, what an avenue, what, what a resource to use to share Jesus with other people. John has laid it out for us. If there's ever something that you need to, to share the gospel of Jesus, to share who Jesus is and what he's done, and take him through the gospel of John. Spend time studying and reading the gospel of John, because that is exactly what John has designed this book for. So you may believe in the Son of God the Messiah, the one who gives life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, God, we can know what it is to have life and life abundant. That through your word, we can know Jesus. That these words were written so we could know him. 
God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us and that you would challenge our hearts. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The book of John, the Gospel of John, was written by the disciple John. And, and I'm not going to go into a lot of the backstory. Uh, Austin kind of took care of a lot of that last week. But this is a book that was written in Greek and primarily probably written to the Greeks. At the time, the Greeks far outnumbered the Jews in the early church. I, I heard a number that it could have even been a thousand to one. And so John is writing this book primarily to the Greeks, but he's also writing to really anyone who's going to listen. So the book is written in Greek, okay? And so this is kind of our target audience, but also both the idea of Greek and Hebrew in mind. John knows his audience. He knows who he's writing to. And again, he's writing this so that they may believe in Jesus. So that's why he's writing this book. And here's where it begins. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not under, has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through Him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, uh, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It begins, in the beginning was the Word. And knowing, again, John's audience, he's got him. okay? In the beginning was the Word. They understood this. The Greeks, there was a, a Greek philosopher, one of the early ones, and I'm going to butcher his name, but... I'll attempt to give it to you anyway. Uh, Her Herculatus, whatever. He was a Greek philosopher, and he was known for his doctrine of change being central to the universe. Okay, this idea of change being central to the universe. He, he coined the phrase, or this, his philosophy said, you cannot step twice into the same river for other waters are ever flowing on you. In other words, it's always changing. You can never stick your foot in the same river twice. Always changing. And this was the philosophy that much of the, the future Greek philosophy was based on, kind of this guy, that it's always changing. And, and he's also known for establishing the term logos in Western philosophy as meaning both the source and fundamental order of the world. And here was this Greek philosopher. This was the philosophy of the Greeks. And this, this term logos, they understood to be kind of the order or the way things, 
the, the world was created, and it's ever-changing, it's ever-flowing, but this is the force behind the world, this logos, okay? For, for Hebrew, logos meant God's speaking action into the world. Isaiah 55 said, God's word goes into all the world and doesn't return void. God's word goes into the world and doesn't return void. In Genesis, God speaks through the the speaks through his word, and creation comes into existence. So from the Hebrew side, this, this term logos meant God's action. If something was going to take place, if something was going to happen, it was God's word that, 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 that did it. And that term was this, this idea of logos, God's action, God's way of moving in the world. And for the Greeks, it was a philosophy that it was ever-changing, this divine force in which the way in the world was moving and shaking. Okay, so they, they both, they're going to resonate right away with John. In the beginning was the word logos. Okay, we got it. All right, we're with you, John. We understand. This is God speaking in the world. From the beginning was the word. The Greeks understood it. Yeah, you know, this, this force, this nature. Okay, we're with you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Okay, that makes sense. God is speaking into the world. He's speaking. He's acting. The, the, the world is changing because of this force, this logos. But here he kind of, he turns it up, upside down on him. And the word was God. Now, now he's got him. Okay, they understood God speaking into the world, logos, God moving, God's action, God's, God's plan for the universe. His, he would speak and this action would take place. But now John is telling them the logos is a person. God is a person. So now, instead of just being God's action or, or this philosophy or this way of, of the world, now he's telling them, Logos, God is with us. The Word became flesh. What a concept. God becomes a man. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. John's packing a lot into these first few verses, isn't he? Here we see some major doctrine within the church. We see concepts of the incarnation, that God, fully God, becomes a man. Fully man. And you can read more about this. You can spend time in Philippians chapter 2, and you can see how God didn't empty himself. All right, He, he Jesus, still fully God, becomes a man. He takes on flesh. It's called the incarnation of God. Okay, Jesus becoming a man. And we see that in the first few verses. We also get a glimpse of the Trinity, another very difficult concept to kind of grasp and, and wrap our minds around, that, that God is, is really three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And for the Greeks, they might have had a little trouble with this. See, not, not trouble with multiple gods, that's what they would have seen. But Okay, he's with God, he is God, but he's with God. And they may have seen this, okay, there's multiple gods. But what John is telling us, no, not multiple gods, one God. Father, Son, Spirit, one God. And for us, oftentimes, as we read Scripture and we study Scripture, it's important to know and, and to know what the incarnation means and, 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 and how it affects us. And the same way with the Trinity, to know that, that God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that they are one. But we also know that sometimes 
we just have to believe that God has called us to live a life of faith. And we may not fully in this life be able to grasp and wrap our minds around what these concepts and concepts like the Trinity mean. But God has called us to believe. If we did know in full, we would be God. So there's, a, there's an aspect of trusting and knowing and believing in who God is and, and His order and how He's designed it and how He's this picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He continues on in verse 3. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. What's John telling us about Jesus? We understood that He's fully God. We understand that the incarnation, that God becomes a man, and now we get a glimpse. One, at the end there, it says, He was with God in the beginning. Jesus becomes a man, the incarnation. The Word, Logos, becomes a man and was with God in the beginning. Another great concept we see. We see the incarnation, we see the Trinity, and we also see that He is eternal, that He has always been and He will always be. And John packing so much into all these verses. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him all things were created. Talking about Jesus. By Him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus helped create this world. He partook in creation. That, that's who we are. That, that's who this, this Logos, that's who this Word, that's who this Jesus is. He has always been. And He even helped in creation. To Him, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John, oftentimes in this book, he talks about some two two words and, and, and phrases that he used often are life and light. Life and light. You will see it throughout the Gospel of John, but John, when talking of Jesus, talks about Jesus being the light of the world, like we sang, right? Light of the world. And that light was to give and shine and make way for this life that could be given. Jesus, as the light of the world, offers us life. And he even says in John 10, I have come to give life and life abundantly, life to the fullest. Jesus has come, the light of the world has come to give light, to give life. That is why he's come into the world. That's why this this God has become a man. That's why incarnation has taken place, so that we could experience life. And he talks about this concept often in John, uh, 1 John, another book that that John authored in in chapter 2, he talks about light being the revelation of God, that light reveals God and who he is. And he talks about it in comparison to the darkness and how, how life and light is the revelation of God, and darkness is our sin. It's, it's the things we've done wrong in our life. And he kind of compares the two in 1 John chapter 2. But there's also reaction. 
to this word. There's a reaction to this light. There's kind of two responses to this light that God has given. That through this logos that has come into the world, this Jesus that has given light to the world, there's two responses. There are those, and imagine for a second, imagine you are in a dark field, right? You have no idea where you're at. You have no idea where you're going. There are two responses to this light. Imagine a great light shining above us. Now all of a sudden, we can see. And the two responses that we could have is if I know I'm lost, what does that light bring me? That light shows me where I should go. That light provides a way for me. That light now has given me safety. All of a sudden, where I couldn't see, I can now see. And for people who are lost and understand they are lost and understand the need for God, that they are separated from God and understand they have no direction, they have no hope for their life, when this light shines, they understand. This is the way. This is the way I can experience life, this life abundant, this life full. This light offers me life. For those that are lost and understand they are lost, that light is a beautiful thing. I was once separated from God. I once walked the opposite way that God intended me to walk. I did. Many of us here did. But when we encountered this light It caused us to change. We understood that, yes, this is the direction I need to go. Yes, this is life found in the light of the world, Jesus. That's one response. But there's another response when we encounter this light. There's the response of someone who knows they're a criminal, someone who knows they've wronged. In a dark place, there's almost safety there. And if this great light, I remember, imagine again, once again, we're, we're in the woods and we're running and we don't know where we're going, but this light all of a sudden is above us. As a criminal, it exposes me. As someone who has done wrong, it exposes me. And my reaction as someone who doesn't realize maybe I'm lost is to run from that light, to get out of the light, because that light exposes me. That light shows that, oh, here's the criminal. Here's the one who's done wrong. Here he is, and the light exposes us. So there are two reactions to this light, and I can respond in one of two ways. I can realize I'm lost. I can realize that this light provides life, or this light can cause me to run the other direction. This light can expose me for who I am, and I don't like it. As a criminal, as one who's running, I don't want any part of it. Those are the, the, kind of the two responses to that. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it. As a criminal, as one who opposes God, as one who wants nothing to do with God, when this light comes into the world, I mean, look how the, the, the world reacts to Christians. Look how the world re- reacts to this light. What do they do? They want no part of it. They're scared of it. They stay away from it. They run from it. This is how the world responds to light. And our job, as we even sang that song, is to show people the light. That through encountering the light, they may make a choice. One, run, hide, get away, go as far away as they can or realize they are lost, 
and that this light, Jesus, is the life of men, is the life that is, is what can provide life to men. Continues on in verse 6, talking about John the Baptist, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Alan is speaking next week and going to talk more in depth about who John the Baptist is. But here's verse 6 through 9. It says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, John not talking about himself here. Not, this isn't the disciple John. He's talking about John the Baptist. There came a man whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So John has been sent. He's coming ahead of Jesus, and he's going to tell people about this light we just talked about, about the Logos, about the Word becoming a man, God becoming a man. He's going to testify about this light. So he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. What is the theme of the book of John that we talked about last week? These words are written so you may believe. You may believe He is the Son of God. You may believe He is the Messiah. You may believe He is the one who gives life. And so John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus so he can point people to this light. He can point people to the one so they may believe in Jesus. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist is not the light. He's not the one who can provide this provide this life. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So John the Baptist is here to point people to the true light, to point people to Jesus. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came, and that, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus has come into the world, but he didn't come as a king. He didn't come as this, this high and mighty. I heard a, a story. It was a story of a, a king, and not a real story, but a story that illustrated what took place and how Jesus had come into the world, how, how this incarnation, how God had become a man. It was a story of a king who saw this beautiful woman. But this woman was an ordinary woman. This woman was, was one who was working in the field. Uh, she, was, had no, she was not noble. She was not in authority. She was not special other than very kind, gentle, loving, and beautiful woman. And the king saw her, and he wanted, him, wanted her to be his wife. But what he didn't want is he didn't want to just go up to this woman and ask for her hand and ask her to marry him. Because he knew that she may make that decision based on him being a king, him being noble, him being of importance. Right? A lot of women attracted to men in high position. Not anybody here, sure. But, but this, this was a guy that he wanted this woman to love him for who he is. 
And so he, he, he concocts his plan. He gets this idea, okay, instead of just doing this, I'm going to come down on her level. I'm going to give up my kingship. I'm going to give up my nobility. I'm going to just go, be with her, and let her see who I am. Let her love me for who I am. And so one day, he just goes, and, and he goes, and he begins to work in a field with her. And he begins to work next to her in this field. And over time, she begins to see that he's a hard worker, that he's gentle, that he's kind, that he's loving. And this woman falls in love with this man, not knowing who he really is, but loving him for who he is and how he's kind and gentle and loving. And one day this man, the king, who she doesn't know is the king, asks her to marry him. She says yes, and his words are just, okay, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to take care of everything. This will never work in a normal circumstance, men. He's going to take care of everything. And so he asks, says, you just get ready for the wedding. I'll pick you up. We'll go through this ceremony. But instead of him showing up and just being a normal guy, the whole army shows up to pick her up and takes her to this great palace where she walks in, and there sits the king. There sits the king. And he explains to her why he did what he did, because he wanted her to love him for who he is. Not that he's some great and powerful king, but to love him for who he is. This is how God came to us. Born in a manger. Born in the most humble circumstances you can imagine. God becoming a man. The king becoming like us. A king coming down to our level, to our circumstances. So we may know him and we may love him. Listen to these verses again. He, talking about Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to all who believed that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one who could give life, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What an awesome thing. The right to become children of God. Right to become children of God. A God we have offended, a God we have sinned against, a God we have failed. Jesus came so we could be sons of the Most High God, brothers of Jesus. What, what, what an awesome thing. This is what the incarnation is all about. God, Jesus, becoming a man in the most humble circumstances so we could have a relationship with God, so we could be sons of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decisions, or a husband's will, but born of God. 
Alan talked about this as he was introducing Gary and Naomi, but this idea and this concept that we must be born again. That once we were born, right, naturally, of natural descent, we were born into this world. But the Bible, the Word of God, Jesus himself tells us that we need to be born again, to be a child of God. We must experience and be changed by this light, Jesus, that offers life to men. We must be born again. If we're here this morning and we don't know Jesus, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, these words are written, written so we may know. We may know He is the Son of God. We may know He is the Messiah. We may know He is the one who came to give life. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he has offered us. And for those that that have adopted a child, those that have brought, maybe been adopted, they can kind of get a picture of what that looks like, right? No family of their own, no father, no mother, yet they are brought in to a family. This is what God is offering us. He brings us in to his family, not by anything we've done, not by our own accord, but by what Jesus has done, what the light of the world who offers life has done for us. He offers us to be sons of God. Moving on uh, to verse 14, and there's three kind of three things in verse 14 that kind of highlight this whole section in John chapter 1. Here's what 14 says. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> Three things we kind of see from this. The first one is that he became flesh, that the incarnation that we've talked about, God became a man and made his dwelling among us. Literally dwelling, it was a tabernacle. It was this concept of a tabernacle. Just like in the Old Testament, where God comes and he dwells among men, this is the picture that we're getting, that God is making his dwelling among men. God becomes a man, lives among men. God becomes a man and makes his dwelling among us. He came a man and he participated in his own creation. He suffered as men suffer. He, he, he knew temptation, he knew hunger, he knew sickness, he knew sorrow, and he knew grief. And we see this next part, for what purpose is that he made his dwelling among us. And only Jesus holds the glory of God. And so what, what John is doing is he takes all this philosophy that the, that the Greeks and the Hebrew held, and he kind of pushes it all together. He kind of ties it all together. That Jesus, God, has become a man. The Word, Logos, has made His dwelling among men. And this idea and this concept of God working and God acting and God moving, He has, and He's done it through His Son. God has now spoken through His Son. And He points us to kind of this next thing, to see His glory the glory of the one and only. 
And what glory is, it's a visible manifestation of God, this, this picture of God, the brilliant light and radiance that speaks of his praise and worthiness. J.I. Packer says it's divinity on display. Divinity on display. That Jesus has come, become a man, God, fully man, fully God, made his dwelling among us, and he's made the glory of God visible. If we ever want a picture of what God looks like, we look at Jesus. God has made his glory known through his son, Jesus. And if you want to see God, you need to simply fix your eyes on Jesus. The last thing we see in this verse is that he came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And he continues on. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was whom I said, I who comes after me, he who comes after me has surpassed me because it was before me. That's a little confusing, right? <laughs> Let me read it again. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He came after, if you know the story of John the Baptist, and again, I'm not going to steal Alan's thunder, but John the Baptist was born to a woman named Elizabeth. She was cousins with Jesus' mother, Mary, okay, and was born before Jesus. So John telling him, I came before Jesus, okay? He comes after me, but he has surpassed me. The purpose of John, why he existed, was he was pointing people to this light. He has surpassed me because he was before me. But John just said, no, he came after me. What's he saying? What's he telling us about Jesus? What John has already told us, that Jesus was eternal, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that Jesus always has and always will be. He has surpassed me. He is greater than me because he is God, and he has always been. He is eternal. This is who Jesus is. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. We have seen, received grace upon grace upon grace. This is what John is telling us. From the fullness of grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Grace upon grace. John is telling us that, you know what? The law was God's grace. That God had already given us grace in showing us and giving us the law through Moses. That the law existed so we could see what God expected of us. We could see how we should live, how our lives should live. And so God's grace was given through the law. And the law is not a bad thing. The law points us to how we should live our lives, the thing that God expected of us. But now what has happened? God has become a man, the incarnation. God has come into the world. The light, the light of men who offers us life has come into the world. And this grace has replaced grace. And there is grace upon grace, an abundance of grace. Because now instead of the law, the law came through Moses, Jesus has come and fulfilled the law. Jesus has come, and now instead of I having to, to live up to this, this mandate that was laid out in the Old Testament, now all I need to do is believe in Jesus and this grace upon grace. He has come full of grace and truth that all I must do 
is believe in Jesus. He offers us grace and truth and this idea of truth and knowing truth. He says himself, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The truth about ourselves, the truth that we are sinners, the truth that we are separated from God, the truth that we need to know this light that offers life. He has come full of grace and truth. This Jesus, this God-man, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, is, the, is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has provided a way that we can know him, that we can be made right and have a right relationship with him through what he did for us on the cross. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to continue in a time of worship. We're going to continue in a time where we remember who Jesus is and what he has done. We remember and we worship this Jesus who is eternal, yet he came in time. This Jesus who is spirit, yet became flesh. Know this, this light exposes us for who we are. We know this, that we are not good, but we are loved. And grace upon grace is what God has given us. Grace upon grace. Grace replacing grace through what Jesus has done for us. And we want to encourage you, and we want you to know, as John said, that these words are written so you may believe. These are written so you may believe. He is the Son of God, He is the Messiah, and He is the one who gives and offers life. If you know Jesus this morning, and you have this relationship with God, if you've been made right with God. Remember, Romans 5, 8 tells us, when we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. When we were enemies, Jesus died for us. And he has given us his son, Jesus, that we can be made right. And these words were written, so we may believe. He is the son of God, he is the Messiah, and he is the light that gives life whoever may believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus, the light of the world, the life offered to all men, to all of us here. We can be made right. We can call ourselves sons of God. Not by anything we've done, not by our own efforts or accord, but by Jesus, by the light of the world. So we thank you for him, this man that became, this, this God that became man, this eternal being that came into time, this spirit that became flesh, this God-man. Thank you for Jesus, the light of the world, the life-giver, the one who came to give grace and truth and grace upon grace that despite my sin, my shame, all my wrongdoing, I can be made right to you. We thank you for him. 
We thank you for the light of the world. It's in his name we pray. don't believe, we, we encourage you and challenge you to, to read through uh, the book of John. Understand who Jesus is and what he's done. For those that, that believe and know Jesus, these words were written so our friends, our neighbors, our family might know Jesus. And we want to be about our mission, that we are leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus. So, so know what John has said. Know the word of God. Share it with people. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us. Thank you for, for challenging us and giving us your son, Jesus, the word becoming flesh. God, may this be real in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming.